millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm telling you this story because my family won't talk about it anymore. I'm the only one who can't seem to forget. I was raised on the outskirts of Preston, a small town in southern Idaho. A place that was the definition of small-town America, with a population of around 5,000. My more immediate community was an isolated, dead-end dirt road called Bear Creek. Less than 20 families lived on Bear Creek. I didn't mind being so isolated. Actually, I really loved it. I grew up in the comfort of wild fields and close neighbours that only rural people can really appreciate. We were a Mormon community. It was very church-centred, very community-centred. All the young girls living there, myself included, were part of the young women's group. And all the boys, they were members of the local Boy Scout troop. We had 4th of July parties at the local ballpark and swam in the nearby reservoir. It was a good and quiet community. I lived in a 92-year-old farmhouse, which was built by my great-great-grandfather and was situated on a small hill surrounded by a wild grass field on one side and a snaking dirt road on the other. Across the road were the creek bottoms. Now, southern Idaho is characterised as a desert climate, so not much grows outside of the irrigation fields besides sagebrush and burrs, and the creek bottoms were no exception. The creek fed the growth of a thick tangle of pussy willow bushes. In the late fall, we used to go down to the bottoms and pick the white, corny, pussy willow seeds to decorate the fences of our driveway. Being so isolated, it wasn't uncommon for animals to come down from the mountains. We had a female moose that brought her calf down and lived in our orchard every winter. And the occasional lion wasn't unheard of either. The summer when I turned eight, and I do remember this vividly because it was the same year as my baptism. But that summer, a smaller mountain lion was spotted several times in our area. We weren't worried though, the big cats stayed away from the farms and usually moved on when the areas didn't yield enough food. That same summer, my neighbour Peyton was working on his Eagle Scout project. He loved National Geographic and thought it would be pretty cool to try putting together a National Geographic submission on our little creek bottoms. 
The young lion that happened to be in our area at the same time made him especially excited. He decided he wanted to try and get pictures of the lion and email the National Geographic team for advice. They recommended that we set up an automatic camera, the kind that takes shots every couple of seconds in an area the lion was known to visit. They also recommended setting some kind of bait so the lion was more likely to come by. No one in the creek liked the idea of live bait, so we came up with a different kind of bait. We decided to set up an audio recording of a dying rabbit and played on loop through a set of speakers hidden in the willows. I remember when everyone was down in the bottoms testing the speakers and I heard the noise for the first time. The sound of a dying rabbit is horrible. I would almost describe it as being identical to the sound of a screaming child. If you've never heard it yourself, there are plenty of recordings available online. It's worth a listen if you're curious. But the camera was set up and the speakers were set up. Everything was perfect. Peyton explained that he would allow the camera and recording to play uninterrupted for a week and then he would go check on it. This would give time for our scent to fade from the bottoms and encourage the lion to come closer. Now at first I was worried about the noise. It was a truly horrible noise and our house was the closest to the set-up point in the bottoms. My father though reassured me that the noise wouldn't reach as far as our house and I was relieved when we arrived home that night and he was correct. The bottoms were far enough away that I couldn't hear anything. I remember Peyton the next day at church. He was fidgety and excited to check on the equipment, but he had to wait the week. Everyone had to keep reminding him that he couldn't risk going down too early and scaring the lion away for good. That night, I woke up to an awful noise. I sat straight up in my bed with my eyes wide in the dark. My hands clutched so hard that my fingerprints made an imprint in my palms that were still there hours later. I knew that noise. It was the recording of the rabbit. It sounded faint and far off, like it really could have been coming from the bottoms, but no, that was impossible. The recording had been going all night the previous night, and I hadn't heard anything then. I didn't sleep that night, and I was too scared to get out of bed and wake my parents. The recordings played over and over and over again. I had the loop memorised. In the morning, I stumbled into the kitchen for breakfast. My mum and dad were sitting at the kitchen table. They also had dark rings under their eyes. I must have not been the only one whose sleep was haunted by those sounds. Mum was convinced that the equipment must have been broken. She wanted to go down into the bottoms to check it out, but Dad refused to let her. Dad was a kind and gentle man and didn't want to stir up any unnecessary drama. 
He was sure there had been a strong wind last night and the wind must have carried the noise farther than its natural reach. He told us to listen and we did, and he was right. We couldn't hear anything now. We forgot about it and went on our normal errands. The next night, it happened again. I stayed up in bed with my back against the wall. The screaming was even louder than the night before. But this time, something was different. It was lower pitched than I remember. And there was a part in the loop that was slowed down, as if the recording was warped in places. At times, the loop didn't loop naturally and instead picked up a random place in the middle. My mum didn't mention anything at the breakfast table but I knew they had heard it too. Both her and my dad seemed tense. The third night, I mustered the courage to stand beside my bedroom window and look out into the yard. For a moment, I just stood there. I was rooted to my spot. My hands were shaking no matter how hard I clenched them. The noise snuck through the cracks in my window, I watched the outline of the trees in the yard. Everything seemed perfectly still. There was not even the slightest of breezes stirring the branches. My mum announced that she was going to visit her sister in town that day and would probably spend the night there. She invited me to come along. But I was a daddy's girl at heart and I wanted to stay close to him at the farm. Even though I was terrified by the noise, I felt safest being close to him. I didn't sleep all night, though. Seeing my dad the next morning, I have never seen him more exhausted, and I knew he hadn't slept either. This was when we began to hear the noise during the day, too. I was drawing with chalk on the sidewalk when it happened. My shoulders tensed and the hairs in the back of my neck stood up. There was only one scream, a short, high-pitched one. And then, silence. It happened again several times throughout the day, but never the whole loop, just short clips of it. Later that evening, Peyton's dad came up the driveway in his four-wheeler. He said he was looking for their dog. Their dog was a sweet yellow lab who had been missing since that morning. Dad said he was sorry and that we hadn't seen her. I stared at him. I was silently begging him to mention the recording, but he didn't. Dad was a quiet man after all. He didn't want to bring up any unnecessary drama. Mum ended up staying away the whole week. Dad and I didn't sleep. By Saturday, the screaming could be heard constantly, though it seemed to have deviated from the familiar loop entirely at this point. I didn't recognise it anymore. I couldn't predict it like I could before. Sometimes the screams were thin and long. At other times, they were hardly more than growls. Once, while my dad had been heating up some leftovers for lunch... The noise rose into such an overwhelming level that he dropped the plate and it shattered. I pressed my hands over my ears where I sat at the table and squeezed my eyes shut, begging and praying for the noise to stop. 
but it didn't help. The noise forced its way in through the cracks of my fingers and pinched my throat and rattled my rib cage. The heart-shaking sound lasted for a whole minute and then fell silent. Dad was shaking. That was the last we heard of the noise that day. Peyton came by Saturday evening to ask permission to cross our road to collect the equipment. He was so excited. I watched him disappear into the creek bottoms with a sense of tired relief. After the equipment was gone, this would all stop. I could not wait to crawl into bed that night and get a full night's sleep. Not a minute later, I spotted Peyton coming back up from the creek. I was confused. It had taken us much longer to set up the camera and speakers, so I would only assume it would take just as long to collect them. I only then realised I was holding my breath when Peyton reached the house. He didn't look right. His eyes were wide and his face was as white as a ghost. Something wet dribbled from his chin and onto his shirt. I later realised it was vomit. My dad caught him before he fell. He demanded to know what was going on, but Peyton couldn't speak. He just cried. We called his dad. I looked after Peyton as both my dad and his dad went into the bottoms. They were gone a long time. When they returned, their faces were grim, and they smelled... funny. I noticed red on my dad's hands. I asked what was wrong, but they brushed right past me and immediately called the police. No one would tell me what had happened. I sat on the couch as a blur of neighbours and police officers swirled around me. At one point, an officer placed something on the kitchen table and left. I looked into the kitchen curiously. It was the camera from the bottoms. I wish I hadn't looked. The camera was a little banged up. Tiny scratches and dents covered the plastic casing. When I lifted it, my hand stuck to the plastic. Something tacky and odorous covered the screen. I tried and it turned on fine. The first set of photos were normal. Just the pussy willows cast green in the night setting. As I continued to click through them, they quickly became strange. At one point the camera angle changed as if the camera had been knocked from its post. Grass now covered most of the frame. Flecks of red appeared on the lens and remained for the rest of the sets. One photo made me pause. There was a figure in this one. Or half of a figure, as most of the upper torso hadn't made it into the frame. I thought it could be human, but it didn't look like it should be standing upright. Its legs were twisted like an animal and it seemed to be having difficulties supporting itself in an upright position. Next to the legs, a long, thin arm hung. Whatever it must have been was stooped over, for its fingertips hung below its crooked knees. The next set was different. It was if the camera had been picked up and was now being held. 
The first photo was of the bottoms at night. The next startled me. I had to look closely before deciding what it was. A rabbit had been laid in the bushes, but its ears and most of its scalp had been peeled away. The next was of the same rabbit, but a thin, dark hand was holding it up against the sky. Its limp body hung like something from a nightmare. In the following photos, more rabbits joined the first one, each with their ears and scalp removed. Then there was a cat, then more cats, then a dog. It was my neighbour's beautiful yellow lab. Then a lion. The following photos was of seven rabbits, three cats, one dog, and then the lion all laid out in a line facing the same way. Their legs and arms had been arranged as if they were marching, like some sort of parade. All of their scalps had been removed and you could see the white shine of their skulls in the moonlight. The last photo was overly bright, like the photo had been taken too close with the flash on. An eye dominated the frame, but it was yellow and crusty and had a bar pupil like a horse. In the bottom corner, the edge of a mouth could be seen. There were no lips just teeth, sharp and little with wide gaps of red gum between them. Oh, how I wish I hadn't looked. I heard my dad talking to the police outside. They said the speakers had malfunctioned. The recording had only played the first night. If you wish to submit an original creepy story for consideration for the podcast, please visit our website, beyondyournightmares.com. You can reach us on Facebook and Instagram, Beyond Your Nightmares, and Twitter at Beyond Your Night. If you like what you heard today, we would love your support by sharing on your social media of choice. You can also help the show if you could rate, review and subscribe on iTunes or your favourite podcast app. Audio production and hosting is by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.